Greetings and welcome to another episode of Stamper Cinema, the film discussion podcast where you choose it, I watch it, and we discuss it. As always, I'm your host. My name is Andrew. Thank you very much for joining us on a very special Halloween edition of Stamper Cinema. And keeping in the vibe of the season, we're going to be covering certainly one of the most stylized interpretations of of Dracula, that being the 1992 Francis Ford Coppola directed Dracula, this one being called Bram Stoker's Dracula. I think they call Bram Stoker's Dracula, even though this takes some like liberties from the novel, the the uh, the novel from 1897, because I don't think they actually had the rights, if I understand that correctly. And maybe maybe I'm completely off base, but whatever. Um, what isn't off base is my saying that this one is very very stylized. I mean, it it takes some nods from the 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 version from the 1920s, the Murnau, like a silent Nosferatu, uh, which I'm not going to say is the great, you know what? I'm not even, I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to go there because there have been, I was going to say maybe the greatest, but maybe not the greatest Dracula film because it's really hard to say. And we're barely two minutes in and I'm already going to go off on a tangent. So I do apologize. But since Stoker published Dracula back in 1897, there have been, certainly at least a dozen different Dracula films and, and even more Draculas uh, that have portrayed, uh, played this, you know, iconic character, you know, whether you look at Max Schreck or Bella Lugosi or Christopher Lee, of course, we've got Gary Oldman in this one. Shit. Uh, Nick Cage just played Dracula recently. And then all the way to, well, my favorite, the Count Dracula from Sesame Street. Uh Dracula has been ever present in certainly in our uh, literature lore and definitely in the the film lore for shit the better part of 125 years and that is just remarkable. But the film we're going to discuss today probably the the scariest of the bunch and in my opinion and our guest that we have got today Ryan um, Ryan Winter author he's going to come out here in just a couple minutes and tell you a little bit about himself recently uh the the author of ravage as well as um uh, wake the devil sorry drew a blank there for a second I've, I've got a lot of notes going on in my head so do bear with me people um but he's going to come out and share some of the opinions that he has on this and this is gonna be a lot of fun what do you need to know about the bram stoker dracula film if you haven't seen it well came out in 1992 november of 92 uh did pretty well i want to say it had somewhere of a budget over 40 million dollars grossed well over 200 million dollars worldwide critically uh if we if we use rotten tomatoes as an aggregator you know kind of uh, metric of the success critics liked it around 78 percent. audiences liked it thereabouts i did find a really fun quote that kind of talks a little bit about like the stylization that that uh, Francis Ford Coppola uses, and it's done by a critic from from Austin. For those that are fans of the show, uh, y'all know that I used to live in Austin, and the Austin Chronicle had a really interesting uh, description. So let me try to pull that up, and I will read that to you right now. So let's see here. Uh, Coppola has a skewed state-of-the-art special effects in favor of archaic film school tricks, reversing the film, multiple uh, uh, multiple exposures, playing with shutter speed, 
that give this Dracula a stylized, almost hyper-real clarity and a wonderfully singular weirdness. It's unlike any Dracula since Murnau's 1922 Nosferatu, from which Coppola has liberally borrowed many techniques. And as such, it's a stunning, gloriously achievement. And never mind the fact that this Jonathan Harker looks like he'd probably be more at home in Malibu than Victorian England. Uh, four stars. Now, I will say the the little nod to uh, John Harker is kind of like a little joke at the expense of Keanu Reeves, which it's interesting because when you look at this movie, this movie is often been praised for the acting specifically of Gary Oldman, who is phenomenal in this movie. But then Keanu Reeves has been kind of lambasted for his performance. And maybe there's some merit to it, but I got to tell you, I love Keanu Reeves's version of John Harker. I don't know. There, there's kind of a charm and a dashingness and a little bit of a, a buffoonery, if that's a if that's a word, that also makes it very um, appealing as far as I'm concerned. Now, if you are new to the the story of Dracula, basically it is a it's kind of an interesting story because it doesn't really have a like singular narrative. Uh, it's kind of told through like letters and diary entries and like newspaper articles. Um, and basically, what happens is you've got this guy Jonathan Harker. He's taken a business trip to see this Transylvanian nobleman Count Dracula, and what what we what he quickly learns is Dracula is a vampire, and the the count then moves uh, from Transylvania over to England and then terrorizes like this town, and basically he is then hunted and killed by Abraham Van Helsing, and that's a story. Now the film interpretation uh, it adds a little bit more history to it. So like Dracula, we learn. Um, it's a little bit more of a romantic than the than the the novel version, and basically his story goes back to like the 1400s, and he like fought in the Crusades, and his his wife um, heard that he had died, and she committed suicide, and this broke his heart, and so he cursed the gods and vowed to like return from the dead, and and basically just live as a representation of death in itself. And in the movie version, like the book, John Harker comes to visit Count Dracula and Dracula sees a picture of John Harker's uh, betrothed in Mina. And she quickly resembles or not quickly. She physically resembles Elisabetta, who was his, um, the love of his life. And now Dracula has a little bit of, motivation he's gonna he's gonna find her of course he's going to wreak havoc uh as well and kill all sorts of people and and suck a lot of blood and and that continues and once again abraham van helsing comes along and they try to kill dracula but again this movie uses a lot of like romance and love and we see the 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 passion that dracula has for mina and and Mina learns that maybe she is a, a reincarnated version of Elizabetha. And so it's a little bit more of a, um, a romantic telling, still with a lot of heart, a lot of blood, a lot of blood, and just some really, really fascinating performances. We spent a lot of time talking about Gary Oldman, but shit, like perfect foil for Gary Oldman's Dracula is Anthony Hopkins because Anthony Hopkins is perfect and everything, but he's a little bit like cartoony 
and where uh, Dracula is like as serious as a heart attack, uh, Van Helsing's a little a little bit goofball. One thing I learned in my research is like a lot of what Anthony Hopkins did in this movie was improvised, but also Gary Oldman did a lot of improvisation as well. And apparently, like when he wasn't in the film, like Gary Oldman, uh, or rather when he wasn't in scenes, he would go around the set and make like a lot of the actors uncomfortable, basically very, very method uh, performance. In fact, there's a lot of crazy, crazy stories that that happened during like the film production. Um, Obviously, Francis Ford Coppola being the film author that he is does a lot of like techniques and do a lot of different tricks to get reactions out of their actors. And well, some of the actors had some of their own liberties that they took. Um, the movie seemed in many ways that it was like cursed from the beginning, but as we've learned, it's been a mad, mad success. But like during the production, a lot of people thought it was going to tank. And I mean, this is a movie that they had worked on the rights for like 20 or 30 years and at the outset, like I said, I'm not sure if they really ever fully had the rights, which is why they call it Bram Stoker's Dracula as opposed to the regular just Dracula. But again, I could be completely full of shit, which wouldn't be completely outside the realm of possibility for anybody that's ever learned. Either way, that is kind of the the nuts and bolts of, of uh, Dracula. And at this point, I think it would be best if I just shut up and let Ryan tell us a little bit about himself. Again, Ryan, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so how are you doing? Uh, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, where you're located? Yeah, uh, thanks for having me, Andrew. I appreciate it. Um, I'm in uh, South Louisiana. I'm about uh, roughly about 40 minutes south of New Orleans. Um, I, I grew up in this area, what they call Bayou Country, which is, you know, all the swamp uh, little towns that's underlying in the uh, right on the edge of the Gulf of Mexico. So it's a really cool place to grow up. You know, it's it's filled with uh, very interesting history and folklore and things like that. And uh, my, my, my family, they're chatters. I mean, they're we're part of the, the French Cajun culture and they love to drink and eat and tell stories. And uh, now whether or not they're true, that's a whole nother plane of existence. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I, I think that's kind of how I started as um, wanting to be a writer in general. You know, I, I grew up with those kinds of uh, in that kind of environment. And I had a very... Um, I guess support uh, support from my family. You know, they're they're very good at um, buying books and reading me books. So you know that it's no wonder I turned out to be some kind of entertainer of some sort. You know, it's an extension of that that uh, my family and all that. So yeah, that's kind of how I wear. That that that's where I come from. The nuts right here down the bayou. I'm trying to think. No, you know, in fact, you are the first person that I've spoken to that is from, uh, you know, the Louisiana, the Bayou area, which yes. is such a fascinating like part of our country. And when you talk about just kind of just a unique culture and mm-hmm. everything that you must have like experienced growing up. I mean, it, it's I don't know. There, there, There's something kind of. I don't magical is not the right word, but there there's something kind of I don't know, just even the idea of like folklore. That that's something that feels kind mystical, of like very yeah, yeah, yeah mystical yeah. thing about Louisiana. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we have the pirates, we have the the um the murderers, the bootleggers, the criminals, you know, all, all, they, they emptied the Bastille in France, you know, back <laughs> in the 1700s just to build this colony. So there we go. It's already started, you know. <laughs> we get all the bad guys. But, you know, that and voodoo and things like that that's happened over the years. 
And uh, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting landscape in general because, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just swaths and swaths of just like swampland and uh, waterways and bridges. So it doesn't look like a lot of parts of the country. And certainly there's a lot of customs here that you certainly won't get in anywhere else. You know, Mardi Gras is uh, a very big deal for us. It's sort of like, um, I'm mean, what's sort of like Christmas. You know, people come for like the Christmas season. Well, we can't wait for carnival season. You know, it takes place sometimes over three months, depending on Easter and all that. So little things like that. I think, um, you know, when you leave the state, you're like, oh, yeah, only we do that. Or, <laughs> you know, or, the, you know, I, I, I moved to Tennessee um, years ago. I went for about a year or so. And I never heard of a dry county. Well, for, well one, uh-huh. we don't even have counties. We have parishes in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know what a dry county was. And the first question was, I'm thinking, well, dry in what way? And I'm thinking like a desert? What are you talking about? <laughs> and uh, you're like, you can't buy alcohol now. I'm like, what? You know, because here we have, you know, drive up daiquiri shops like you would get, you know, McDonald's or Burger King. You just drive up and you get a drink. Um, and that's a very real thing. You know, just little things like that. You know, this sort of um, laissez-faire, you know, it's yeah. it's a very poor area, but they really do enjoy each other. I mean, I have to say that it's, you know, it's it's always been a very poor area. Um, it's culturally sort of um, insular. You know, a lot of uh, my family are not big travelers. They I mean, they love their state. You know, and to, to leave Louisiana, oh, my God, no, that's like leaving the Shire. Are you crazy? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, you know, and on top of that, we have the music, the food, you know, all these great things. So, yeah, it's it's a very unique place, you know, and um, a lot of ideas, especially in New Orleans. Um, I spent, you know, after graduation uh, high school, I, I went straight there. My dad's family's from the city and um, I moved straight into the French Quarter, of course, much to the detriment of my, my poor mother, who was like, oh, crap. You know, he's <laughs> we've lost him now, you know, in the French Quarter is a pretty crazy place. But, you know, I think that's where the, the writing really just fused and just fused in my brain. I mean, it was just like, ah, cause you meet all these other types of people. There's a lot of uh, eccentric people and things like that, you know. Um, but and then New Orleans, of course, is also has its own little different things that you don't hear down in, in, in um, the Bayou country. So because um, there is a. There is a big difference between, and a lot of people get this confused. There's a uh, a big difference between Creole and Cajun. You know, they're two different kind of cultures. And you know, a lot of people go to New Orleans and say, "Oh, I can't wait to try that Cajun food." Well, you know, you're gonna have to go down south, a little further south. You know, then there is a little bit more south. Uh, people think New Orleans is right on the Gulf. It's not. <laughs> you still got a little ways, but you know, it's more Creole cooking. It's a more of a um, a richer type of food. Cajun Cajun food is is very simple. You know, onions, water, seasoning, things like that, chicken. Um, you can always tell in our gumbo which one's different. You know, one's a little <laughs> richer than one's like a soup, one's like a stew. So there you go. That's that's the quick lesson on how uh the difference between Creole and Cajun. So <laughs> it, it, it's you know, it's it's, it's Louisiana has a it has a huge history. You know, it's got a very, very colorful history. Yeah. Yeah. I, I currently live in Atlanta and I was recently in Savannah and oh yeah, Savannah is such a, it's, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. But Mm -hmm. there is in many respects, there's this parallel and it's not, I'm there. I'm not going to say that they're sister, like, uh, uh, towns or anything, but they both also have very like rich kind of like haunted, uh, stories because they are very, very old. I mean, it's the, it's the oldest 
Yeah, I mean, we'll shoot. I mean, Savannah is one of the 13 original colonies, right? Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, when you think of like New Orleans, obviously with the with the French history and then obviously kind of like the, the haunted elements. And we're recording this in October. So it's kind of like spooky season. Yes, and everything. Oh, it's, so. it's alive right now. The city is just alive. There's so much going on. Yes. Yeah, so I've heard that so many times. People go to Savannah and they say, wow, it's like a just a, like a smaller New Orleans. Mm-hmm. The architecture, the the trees, the the mystique about it is very um, similar. And I've also heard, and this one's kind of odd, and I've never been to Key West, but I've been told there's a lot of similarities in Key West as well. Sort of the um, sort of the attitude, you know, drink on the street, party in the White. street, kind of, mm-hmm. you know, it's got the, the architecture similar as well. But I mean, it makes sense, you know, being so close to the Caribbean and, and New Orleans certainly has a huge Caribbean influence. Yeah. You know, it's influenced by um, not only French, but uh, in fact, it's more Spanish than French um, if you compare architecture and things like that. But I mean, African and Caribbean and mm-hmm. Haitian and all all these different flavors. And that, that's what makes it so interesting. You know, there's there's so many different types. Yeah. Now, as a writer, obviously, I can only assume that it's a like a major influence in your own like storytelling. But like, how do you try to uh, incorporate that? Like, what is the kind of like the just because you've brought up like Cajun and Creole, your own kind of like flavor uh-huh. in using some of this? Because I I, I, just, I can only assume that somebody that is from that area would want to to share their own individual stories about about this very unique place uh in america oh, sure. um new orleans uh especially i have two books i have two novels and um one children's book <clears throat> and of course they're all they all my children's book is called new orleans mother goose so there you go i basically sort of cajunized the nursery rhymes and things like that and it it it, it you know it's my mom calls it the little book that can it just keeps <laughs> on going man everybody knows about it <laughs> everywhere i go like oh yeah yeah i have that book um, but my other two novels, it's they, they both take place in New Orleans and it becomes another character. Not so much in my book, Ravish. It, it just so happened it takes place there. But um, my recent um, release, Wake the Devil, is based off something that happened there. Uh, basically, this true crime story in 1918, this this um, killer they called the Axeman came out of nowhere. They don't know his motive. They don't know his identity. He stayed for about a year or so and then boop, he was gone you know, slaughtered all these people. They can never get a, a beat on this guy. They don't even, and there was whispers that for a while, he probably wasn't a guy at all, that he mm-hmm. might've been, you know, something more than a person. And I think that's when I jumped on and I'm like, that is such a New Orleans thing to say, <laughs> you know, oh, he wasn't a person. He was a demon from hell, which, which he did, which he did claim, you know, he did write that in papers and stuff. But um, so obviously that takes place in New Orleans, but the city itself is such a character. And I find in that book in particular, you know, there's there's a character named Truman and he's uh, he's he was born there, but he lived on the West Coast his whole life. So now he's back and he he calls it his feels. It's this moment when you come into New Orleans, it takes you over. You know, I've seen people who don't drink go just wild, you know, drinking in the and, and just cutting loose. And it's these really calm people. And I'm like, holy crap. But I think to myself, you know. Auntie Nola, she's got you, you know, and uh, it, it, and they, you know, things that they don't normally do back home here they are, but it's it, and I can, I can, I can relate. I can, I can understand that because there is this sort of force behind it, you know, and, and I certainly use it as a character. And, and so in Wake the Devil, um, Truman is, is looking at all these places and all these memories start coming back to him. All the scents, all the smells, all the, the sights, you know, it's just this really, 
Oh, it's it, it's a force. And I love this quote from uh, um, the playwright, Tennessee Williams. Yeah. He said, uh, you know, there are three original American cities. There's New York, there's San Francisco, and there's New Orleans. Everywhere else is Cleveland. <laughs> and I, I love that. I mean, that's ridiculous. Um, and he might be right. You know, it's it's. I think San Francisco almost has like a parallel to um, New Orleans. So a lot of my stories tend to take place there and here. And, you know, one of my favorite writers, Anne Rice, you know, local um, writer, unfortunately, she passed uh, to about two years ago. So, but, you know, she was from here. She lived mm-hmm. in San Francisco for a long time and she made the same kind of parallels. And I think it's because, you know, it's a city of neighborhoods. It's affected by its location geographically. It has, you know, um, it has very big vulnerabilities and things like that. You know, city that you can walk, it has all these interesting cultures mixed into it, you know, and the architecture is, is, you know, something special that you don't really see in a lot of other cities. So there's some interesting parallels there, I find, you know, Um, but uh, I mean, it's, it's always been such a part of me. And I think once you finally go, you start to understand it, you know, once, um, and I worked in tourism there for years and years and years. And, you know, I would have new people come in and they say, what can I do besides bourbon street? And that's a very legit question. I understand that, you know, it's like, you know, going to, to New York and saying, what can I do besides going to see the statue of Liberty, you know? (laughs) And it was like, Oh, there's tons of stuff. And I think, um, once you take a tour and you're listening to locals talk and they're telling stories, then you realize these buildings that you're walking by, you find out, good God, what a history this is. And you find out these really um, milestones in histories. There's a lot of firsts in New Orleans and a lot of oldest, you know, things in New Orleans as well. But, you, you know, it's it's you would never know, I think, if you don't read up or have a tour, you know, and I, I definitely suggest tours. I love those. I mean, they're, they're not really uh, BS like a lot of people say. And, you know, we have tours for everything. You know, they have cemetery tours. I don't know why people are fascinated by their cemeteries, but they are. And, uh, you know, the, the vampire culture has always been with us, you know, mm-hmm. long, you know, long time. Um, so there's tours for things like that and um, voodoo tours and haunted history tours and just regular city tours for history and all that. You know, and right now in, in around Halloween, that's going I'm sure that's going full blast right now. And, and it's such an amazing city. And sadly, we don't get the wonderful, cool weather. It's hard to tell. Some days it'll be 95 degrees. Some days it might be 60. You never know. Um, right now it's it's in the 80s. So <laughs> it kind of sucks, you know, but it doesn't have that autumn feel. But still in all that the glow is there, you know, it, it's all the balconies, you know, are decorated. The houses are decorated. And, um, you know, they of course they do a big Halloween, you know, so it's it's if you're if you're on your way there, man. Oh, you're going to have a good time. You're going to have a great time. I'm trying to think. Let's see. We're actually now. I don't even know where I want to go. Um, <laughs> there. Thank you, by the way, for for sharing uh, sharing a little history. Oh, actually, that's maybe a fun little segue. Just because you reference segue, uh, re- reference history is when we look at, especially like living here in America. Um, history is something that you know. Not to you know, America has kind of a very very. Um, you know, spotty history, if you will, mm-hmm. you know, like it, it's, mm-hmm. it's many cases, it's not a history that we really like to discuss or there's a lot right. of like ugly things within American history. Sure. But when we think of places like New Orleans, or I, I reference uh, Louisiana, or rather I reference uh, Savannah, or you mentioned uh, New York, you know, 
so much of America is really kind of like new history, right? I mean, it's a very young country. It's a really young country. I mean, Mm -hmm. when you look at, I mean, we're shoot, you know, as a country, we're not even, you know, just uh, a few hundred years old. Right. But so when we look at like here living in Atlanta and Atlanta is a, is a fun town, but shoot, I mean, Atlanta was burnt to the ground in the 1860s. So when we look at like architecture, (laughs) Most of the buildings here are, you know, the old buildings. When we talk about it, it's like, ooh, these these come from like the 1880s. Well, because you know, everything else was, you know, level by Sherman. Uh, right, but right. you, which is why like Savannah is fascinating because it's the one place in Georgia that wasn't like torched. It's still was, there, yeah, yeah, the original copy. Yeah. So you look <laughs> exactly. at you look at a place from the 1700s, and mm-hmm. and New Orleans has, you know, just it's another city that goes back to the 1700s and when you look mm-hmm. at like some of these colonial uh places within our country it there there's just something fun and there is a mystique about it that that lends itself really well to uh to storytelling and being able to sure. have conversations especially when you look at the kind of the afro-caribbean element of like new orleans mm-hmm. as well and you take their cultures and you take uh you know uh some like the, the french history and kind of have that little melting pot. It's it, it just there. There's something really rich about that. And okay. and when because we're going to for the listener, dear listener, thank you for uh, for letting us uh, have fun with this conversation. <laughs> but when never let a Cajun take over, it, they'll never <laughs> shut up. <laughs> we're you know because we're ha- we're gonna have a conversation about about vampires and obviously you reference Anne Rice as well and you know she had mm-hmm. her whole series and I don't know it just it seems kind of like ripe and it, there's just like a nice like uh, gumbo uh, of just different <laughs> things that you can put together when. Well, you know, I, I, this is really interesting. So I have on my um, on my Facebook fan page, it's uh, Ryan with their uh, fan page. And I've been posting <clears throat> the uh, as as I'm uh, um, I was, you know, Wake the Devil had just been released. And again, being based off a true story, I was posting all the real locations and what they looked like and of course the characters that were involved as well and the cool thing is when somebody said wait these places are still there i said about 80 percent of them that are in the novel yeah they're still there i reference you know a lot of uh um just even french quarter buildings or buildings that are just around you know just regular houses regular just you know new Orleans houses that have not been leveled that are still there that they still maintain. And I think that's what's cool about New Orleans. You know, it's not a place where they level, you know, stuff like LA. They knock down all these yeah. landmarks and shit and it pisses me off. And now you can go to New Orleans and say, ah, oh, there it is. You know, there's that story. You know, that's where it took place, you know, 200 years ago. Cause I mean, there was a New Orleans before there was in America. So let mm-hmm. that sink in. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, now you've referenced in this conversation just kind of like, you know, an element of kind of like true crime. Uh, so are is that something that you yourself is like are drawn to? Are you kind of like uh, like obsessed with the kind of like the the true crime, like serial killer element? Uh, because I know my wife, I don't know if you listen to podcasts, but she's into like she's obsessed with this shit. And then you've got like TV <laughs> shows of. Uh, you know, like of snapped where, you know, women go like go off and like kill their husbands. And, <laughs> and, and I don't know, it, it, it's funny because I'm huge into horror films. I love, like, it's probably my favorite genre of films, although I will watch anything and everything. And I do same yeah but, like same. horror films really enjoy, but my wife, she can't stand them. 
but yet she lives on this like these these true crime stories and i can't i can't, right, I can't follow yeah. it because that shit is actually real where, that's like, the real film- yeah yeah my, my mother she's like that you know she's a every time i visit her she's she's got the crime channel on like 24 7 i'm like jesus christ no wonder why you sleep horrible you know like <laughs> <laughs> and she will not watch horror movies to say but she will never do it um even when i was growing up um i i my first um foray into horror it was probably about four or five and I um, where we lived in, in the town Dulac, where I was born, uh, we lived next to one of my aunts and she had she was one of the first people I can remember had this wonderful new thing called pay cable. And you can watch <laughs> movies without commercials like what? You know, there was this thing called HBO and it was, you know, you know, and she was the first person I said, look at this. And I remember watching Creep Show, you know, the Stephen King movie. And from then on, and I can still see, you know, p- images of it. And my aunt, she was a very gregarious person, real laugh, real loud. She loved, oh, she's sweet. You can, oh, my, if you need a prom, you want to talk to somebody, you go to my aunt. She's she's fantastic. And as long as we sat there with her and my uh, two older cousins, I had cousins that were about five or six years older than me. And if we all sat together, we could, there was nothing really off limits. Um, I watched Friday the 13th. I watched the Amityville Horror. I watched all, you know, all these, all these great, um, films when i was a kid so i was introduced to it with carte blanche you know <laughs> like, you know we we watched that now my mom on the other hand i don't know if she knew that's what i was doing over there um because <laughs> we certainly didn't watch horror films together that's for sure but you know this is around the time when they had those great series like tell from the dark side and yeah. monsters and yeah i mean oh my god those were fantastic so i was watching that and they were you know they were on television so they was benign enough for me to watch and even when i went to my my godmother uh when i would stay over at her house same thing me and my cousin there uh would watch those shows and sit there and eat pickled okra and is it tell me me being southern here (laughs) eating pickled okra out of our jar and things like that and and watching (laughs) these shows you know so from it's almost as if horror picked me you know it was always just there and i was never scared you know i was never scared and i think um by the time I was about seven or so, and my, you know, my, my parents didn't know what the hell to do. Like, oh, this kid's watching these crazy things and he's making his little brother watch it. And my mom, you know, she bought me this little um, children's, the classic illustrated children's that I think they still publish them. The little, um, I don't know if they're annotated or not, but they're um, children's illustrated classics. And she had bought me the um, strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde by Robert Louis Stevenson. And I think that was the first time a story, a horror story, scared the shit out of me on off the page. Mm. And I think that was the first time I realized like writing had that kind of power. Because you I mean sure you can watch a movie and hear the music and the, you know, the violins, you know, and something jumps at you and all the, you know, wonderful sound and stuff. But to sit there on a page and and picture this in your head, because that's what I'm doing, you know, when you're reading, you're building it in your head. And I'm telling you, that book scared the crap out of me. And of course I wanted more. So, you know. Because I was watching King movies, because King ruled, you know, he yep. still rules horror, man. You know, he's mm-hmm. been, you know, in the 70s and 80s, especially in the 80s when, you know, when I was a kid, he was popping, man. There wasn't a year without a, a King movie or a book for that matter. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I started wanting to read him. So about nine or 10, I remember Pet Cemetery had come out and it was all the rage. And I wanted that. I wanted that book. If I had to sell my grandmother, I was going to get that damn book. <laughs> and... Uh, so I, I told my mom, it was my birthday and I, I was just turning, oh God, I must have, I don't think I was 12. 
um, I'm going to say I was probably about 11. And my mother said, oh, there's no way in hell. There's no way in hell. She goes, you can have anything. You know, she probably would have gave me marijuana before she would have gave me this damn book. <laughs> and, uh, and she said, well, I'll tell you what. Your aunt, my aunt Justine, who was a no fun, fun lit, another cool uh, Cajun chick, but no nonsense. You know, if she said no, that was it. And she said, well, you know, if your aunt's taking, you know, your aunt's taking you out. If she says it's okay, then I'll say it's okay. So I think in her, my mother said she knew and just was going to say no. And I remember going to the mall there. And, you know, I don't know if you remember B. Dalton booksellers. Oh, yeah. And you had B. Dalton and Walden books. Walden yeah. books. That's right. And I, lo- I loved B. Dalton for some reason. It, it had everything I always wanted there. It was my sanctuary. <laughs> and uh, I would go there and just kind of like, it's almost like, um, you know, a hungry person sniffing the window at a restaurant. Like, oh, <laughs> you know, I want, I want all these books. And um, so I went straight to the shelf and she followed me and I said, this is what I want for my birthday. You know, and she said, she looked at it and she said, this, are you sure? And I said, oh, yeah. She said, put in the buggy. And that was it. And I brought it home. My mom, I think, had a heart attack. And um, she's like, I can't believe it. And she kind of shook her head. But it was on after that. You know, I was reading adult horror. And so <laughs> there was no stop for me after that. And I got all, of course, I, I coaxed all my aunts and uncles to buy me these things for Christmas. And um, they bought me for books for Christmas and, uh, and, and, uh, for my birthday. So, you know, within maybe three years, I had a huge collection of, of Stephen King books. And then of course I started, uh, I was introduced to Anne Rice when I was about, I guess I was about 12 or 13. And I read, uh, the witching hour by Anne Rice. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's it. The rest is history. You know, uh, just because you referenced uh, Pet Cemetery, was it yes, was it this book cover right that's here? That's it. That's it. You know, I still have that paperback copy I bought. I still have the exact same one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's an amazing book. Yeah. This. Uh, so just uh, just because we're talking about Pet Cemetery, this was my introduction to Stephen King as a writer because I had seen <laughs> some of his stuff that you know, like. Um, it seems like we kind of like grew up around the same time and that mm-hmm. Stephen King was everywhere. So like, yeah, I, yeah. I saw Stand By Me. I think that was the very first thing I ever saw. And Great movie. Great and movie. I knew about everything. And, uh, you know, so when I like I remember as a kid when they were when they were publishing or not, re- uh, but when they were advertising back when like they would advertise books that even though they had been oh, like, yeah. published like oh, yeah. five, six years earlier. And it was like, right. order now, the stand, you know, and like, what is this? I, I need to know everything <laughs> about this Stephen King guy. And, and so when like Pet Cemetery like came out, you know, I saw the movie first and I love the film, but then I read the book and it was, it was unreal. And what, what I've learned is this not like Pet Cemetery, and I promise, listeners, we are going to talk about Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> um, but this this novel never, almost like never, got published because yeah, of the fact yeah. that this was it was yeah. like the end of like a contract or whatnot. And he's gone on record and saying like this is like his like the most personal story because of the fact that like he's been asked like you know well what scares you what scares you That's and. Right. And he always talks about, well, like the the, the loss of like a child. That, that that's, that's what terrifies him. And when you really think about mm-hmm. it, that's that's something that he puts in virtually everything that he's ever written is like a death of a kid. And that's right. this yeah. one, 
is actually it's not just a supporting character. It's not like this neighbor kid that becomes a vampire in like Salem's mm-hmm. Lot or, right. you know, the the subject of this kid that they're going to go search like, you know, for this this, you know, this body, you know, or because uh, yeah, this is this is like a four year old child. You know, yeah. this is a baby practically. Yeah. And nobody really talked about that. You know, mm-hmm. that you don't really do that, especially in horror. And, and to go after that, because I know he had um at the time he was writing it, his daughter had lost her cat and uh, they lived by a real pet cemetery. So, I mean, it's at it's all adding up here. And I think there uh, he does tell a story about his uh, one of his uh, uh, sons had almost was running toward a highway and and you know the setting you know is very similar to where he lived when he rented this house and uh, they had the big trucks running by so it's all, yep. it all it was all based off where he was and he tells about that and how he you know hurried up and grabbed his kid before he was hit by these trucks you know and, and i remember you know always being my favorite book and so when i read my first bio about him i didn't realize how much he couldn't he hated it because yeah. he it, it terrified himself, you know, and he hated writing about this. And he said his wife hated it, you know, and so he had put it in a drawer for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, look at that. Even the master of horror, you know, just shocked by his own work. And of course, it's it's very it's very heavy handed material. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of like the exorcist. There's just no humor about it. It's just this is going to be brutal. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, and this will be the like my last little bullet on it, because I I. You know, I, I can't think of Stephen King without like Pet Cemetery at least crossing my mind yeah. because that was really something that I go back to a long, long way. And I want to say three years ago because I used to go on this phase of you know like oh well it's it's October I got to watch some of my Stephen King films you know and obviously I'm going to watch Pet Cemetery it's going to happen. And I watched <laughs> it a few years ago. My daughter is now five, and I Ooh. saw it when she was around two. And I just had a completely different reaction, even though I'd seen the movie yeah. dozens of times and I had to read the book, you know, like cover to cover twice at this point, but just completely different like reaction. I'm like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. POV yeah, this, now this just a, a level of yeah. real that I had never once thought was remotely possible. And then I'm like, oh, shit, no, like, no, no, we, <laughs> we, no, we're not even like fucking around, like crossing the street. <laughs> You know, it, it, it's it's quite fascinating. Uh, that was just my my final little bullet. Um, if you have any closing <laughs> thoughts on that, but I'd love to open the conversation into why why you're really here today. <laughs> um, well, I, I saw I love your show. It's 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 I've, I've saw a couple of episodes and we were talking about and I, I love talking about these individual movies and being Halloween. I love Halloween, of course. Um, and then I said, man, you know, I wonder if he's ever mentioned Bram Stoker's Dracula. And um, and I said, oh, it's not on there. I don't see it anywhere. So I I, I had to mention that it's one of my fa- it's 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 actually my favorite movie of all time. Um, if if that's where you want to go right now, but otherwise, yeah, yeah I, no, uh... absolutely. I mean, I've got you know, I've got I've got several questions for you. When it comes to this film, you mentioned that it's it is your favorite film of all time. You know, what about it? What about it makes it your your favorite film? I remember when it was advertised. And everybody was excited because it's like, oh, my God, Francis Ford Coppola is doing a horror film, you know, and it's Dracula. So, of course, right off the back, I'm like, oh, this is going to be freaking spectacular. And I remember and I was in, gosh, I must have been seventh, eighth grade. And I remember my my mom and her and my stepdad at the time had went to the movies and they came back. I said, how was it? And she hated it. 
And I'm like, oh, of course, don't ask the person who hates horror films. That's the wrong person to ask. But even my stepdad, you know, I was very shocked. And he said, you know, it's more of a romance than anything. And I said, well, <laughs> there's a lot of that in the book. <laughs> so I said, well, what do you mean a romance? It's not advertised that way. But then again, I, it's funny because it almost coincided with like a few days later, all of a sudden it was like, love never dies becomes a tagline. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know, what did he do to this book? And so I went and, and there was a couple of friends in school that had went see it. And they said, oh, no, it's fantastic. And I said, OK. And I finally watched it. And the thing about it, it's it's got so many different elements to it that speak to what I like. You know, it's got the horror. It's got the gothic. It's got this epic feel to it. It's got this romance to it. You know, you know, it's everything but a screwball comedy, <laughs> you know, and you could probably find that in there. But and it's so sumptuous and so beautiful. And it has such heart. And I like that Coppola just really took his time. He told this story right. And he introduced these really interesting elements and um, hyped up the eroticism. Because in horror, eroticism was always there. And if mm -hmm. it wasn't, it was always right under the surface. you know. And he basically said, you know what? We're going to yank it out. <laughs> We're going to make Keanu Reeves right here with these these three whores on this bed. And it's going to look beautiful. you mm -hmm. know. And I, <laughs> and I love that. It, it's, it's every time I watch it, though. I always find something fascinating in a frame. I don't know why. And I was uber jealous about this when this came out. I said, there's no way in hell I'd ever write something like this. This is beyond me. Um, but but it's 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 that kind of attractiveness to it. It's the cinematography, the um, the the music, the atmosphere, everything is just top notch. The costumes, of course, which um, Aiko Ishioko had won the Academy Award for. Yep. Uh, deservedly, of course. Beautiful costumes. And then you have these performances. And, of course, Winona Ryder at that time was huge. You know, she's part of our generation. You know, she was since Beatles use. I mean, everybody knew. Who, well, and before that, she was in Lucas. Lucas. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love Lucas. And so she's at that time, she was like popping. I mean, she was huge. I mean, she, I, I love that she's back. I freaking mm -hmm. love that she's back. It's mm -hmm. amazing. I love it. Who doesn't love her? Can I mean, you just you know? be my new best friend? Because everything you're saying, you're just echoing like my entire like vibe of just life. So yes. Uh, but yeah, please continue. <laughs> no, yeah, no, it, it's, and even at that time, you know, Keanu Reeves and I, I know there's some controversy about, you know, him kind of being a little bit bland, but you know, Coppola's reasoning was he was hot at the time. Mm -hmm. He's what all, you know, he was a, a sex symbol at the time. So of course, why not? You know, and I, I think he did a great job, but um you know, uh, there's so much care into that film and it shows in every frame. Um, and then you have this spectacular performance by Gary Oldman mm -hmm. that's just out the water, man. And all these neat surprises about it, you know, and that, that's why it's always stuck with me all this time. Now, I was one of those nerds that also um, I had the soundtrack. I had the lobby cards. I had the magazine. <laughs> I had the making of book, which I still have most of this stuff um you know i had bought copies it was probably the first movie i ever bought um lots of merchandise for i mean you know, I always had toys and things like that when i was growing up but this was the first movie i was so gaga for i wanted every piece of it and that following year i had uh visited my uh aunt and uncle in california and they took me to universal studios and over there you know there's only one outdoor set in that whole movie which is when he meets Mina on the street you know, mm -hmm. in the London street and all that's supposedly the only outdoor, you know, setting. And there it is in Universal Studios over there in, uh, in Universal City around Burbank and all that. And you go in the back tram ride and sure enough, there it is. And I must have took a thousand pictures, almost fell off the damn car. 
And I was like, this is it. This is where it was. This is where Dracula stood and all that. So, oh yeah, I, to this day, I'm still a fanatic. And this is interesting because what, maybe two years later, Interview with the Vampire came out. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not really a vampire person per se, but again, another movie that's also one of my pretty close second, third, you know, favorite movie. Um, someone who took the material made, you know, took it seriously instead of this schlocky stuff that we've always known it to be, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just introduced all these beautiful um, human elements to it. And that's why I love Interview the Vampire as well. It's the same thing. And that's, that's mostly Anne Rice for sure. But I also love Neil Jordan's movie. So it's weird how they kind of are very, very similar. But I, I, I love Bram Stoker's Dracula. It's, it's, I always show it. Um, I always watch it in the wintertime. And then there's a scene <laughs> where you see the blue flames come up as, as he's crossing toward yeah. the, the and i don't know if there's something just really like ooh, you know i get goosebumps just thinking about it and i think oh man you know warm fire and you know winter time and some cocoa and bram stoker's dracula bam let's go you know <laughs> <laughs> and now, I, I'm, glad they, I'm glad they're not you know if there was a warehouse with all those props i mean don't don't tell me don't don't tell me <laughs> yeah like a warehouse like where they have you could get like uh where you can get dracula's like blue like sunglasses that he has and <laughs> yeah. oh my god yeah everything oh my gosh that that oh i'd go nuts <laughs> or yeah his his armor uh just i mean you mentioned like uh like you know the costumes and everything just even because the movie was not cheap and a lot of the money like for like i think like 40 million dollar budget Mm-hmm, I mean, they, mm-hmm. they filmed it like on like on set and uh but <clears throat> a lot of it went to like costumes and makeup yeah. and it has a you know just a very very authentic and beautiful like rich kind of look to it and when just you just a whole new way you yeah know? and because i mean the special effects and the effects you use are for the most part were kind of like kind of like the classic practical effects kind of like That's style right. and Trap uh, doors and ropes and things oh yeah, i love like that. miniatures fantastic. and things like that you know and absolutely uh, just it, it was great you know and i i mean there, there's a lot to really kind of like unpack with this movie you know and oh gosh, yeah. watching it again and i'm you know i'm familiar with the with the with the dracula story and obviously they kind of expanded a lot and you know added like kind of like the historical element uh which was kind of fun with it story-wise i think there are a couple things that i i kind of wonder a little bit about you know some things that weren't necessarily really kind of uh open at least as far as i can tell as far as like why did dracula need those 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 homes and those strategic areas and like he even like even keanu reeves uh john harker even asks the question and then (laughs) it kind of like dracula like takes him a different way and talking about like destiny but it's but it's never really kind of explained because it didn't really, really seem like he even needed them because he had the ability to communicate yeah, he, or be anywhere. So there, there are like some story elements that I'm not completely understanding on, but the set pieces by themselves are beautiful. And the set pieces that they do are just so rich. So whether it's, um, Oh my God! I, I whether you you mentioned the uh, he's with the two whores, you know, or the the, mm-hmm. the, the whore, uh, the one of which, by the way, one of the uh, the 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 vampire, um, you know, loves is Monica Bellucci, who oh is yeah, yeah, just um, just just divine, just you know, uh, just perfection, right. and but it, you have that, you have the 
uh, oh my God, I'm just looking at this movie. And you mentioned when you <laughs> saw this, the first time I saw, I actually saw this movie in the movie theater with my mother. Uh, I was in oh, eighth, I think I was in eighth grade. Cause let's see. Yeah, this, that's about right. This movie came out what ninety two? Uh huh. Yeah, I was eight, I was so, in eighth grade too as well. Yeah, You're, I'm I'm forty five now. I was born in seventy eight. Yeah, so I'm forty four. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, that's so that's about right then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I just remember thinking, holy shit, this movie's incredible. And uh, just so because different. we had mentioned you had mentioned Francis Ford Coppola, I had seen um. You know, my parents were really, really cool. They they knew that cinema was in as an art form was something. It was more than just, you know, like oh, let him watch it. He, he's not scared <laughs> if it's if it's a horror film. They're, they're, he he understands this as an art, and he just eats this shit up. So my parents would let me watch just about anything I could get my oh, hands that's on. That's great. That's great. And uh, so I saw The Godfather way too young, quite frankly. But so I I knew about the mafia, and you know, when I was at like in fifth <clears throat> grade and everything, you know, so. Uh, you know, and, and watching that and, and being in I was love a with huge that. Uh, his his movie Peggy Sue Got Married. I remember watching mm. it as a kid. That was oh yeah, from the 100%. first time. I loved that movie. Good yeah. God, I love that movie. And it's at, at five six years old watching this, which obviously is not a kids film in in any way. Of course, PG, but still um, adult themes. But yeah, I mean, even that movie has just this beautiful um, look and the feeling to it. And that's what I like about Coppola. Man, he really gets you in there. You know, you're really going to feel something, you know, it, it, he's going to put you in there and you're going to feel what he's trying to get you to do. I, I love that. He's a master of tour. Yeah. It's yeah. shocking. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I, I just remember the emotion that I had when the movie like ended. I'm like, this is fucking incredible. She, my mom, I think I, I don't know if she liked it or disliked it, but she loved my <laughs> reaction that I had to it. It's just like, this is this is fucking wild. And, um, you know, this was at the time where like Winona Ryder was a goddess to me, you know, like a, yeah. at that point, you know, like a 13 year old boy, like, Oh my God, you know, this is, uh, this oh, is she was gorgeous. Oh, yeah. And, you know, lady. yeah. And she had you know, just did Edward Scissorhands, I think like mm-hmm. right before it. And she had, yeah. oh, so she like, had done Edward Scissorhands then, and Beetlejuice yeah, and little women and, and yeah. all that right around that same time. And oh yeah, my yeah. Gosh. I think little women came out a little bit after, but yeah, like all mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. She was um, she was hot, man. She was everywhere, everywhere, absolutely everywhere. Like, and I, you know, I go back to this movie, and just because we were having this conversation, I just wanted to like, what is it that stands out to me? I asked the question, you know, what is it about this movie that connects with you? But and part of the whole reason why I have this podcast is it was a result of COVID. We were all sitting at our home doing nothing, <laughs> and I got tired of watching the same old movies that I watched all the time. So I'm like, I wonder what other people are watching. What other people. <laughs> And it's always a treat when people choose a movie that I really enjoy as well, because now I can have a conversation, but look at it from a different angle and exploring this movie again, story wise, it it's Dracula, but it, it's mm-hmm. it's it, it's obviously enriched, which is you know lovely. But there are things that I, I'm, I'm not completely convinced or not really maybe convinced is the wrong word, but kind of like questions. And I, I, I find a couple little holes here and there. When this, what I've just really looked at now is just kind of from like the set piece and just like some of these just really, really beautifully orchestrated scenes, even, um, you know, going into the crypt and killing like Mina and just. Oh, I love that scene. Oh, my gosh. Just so, you know, I saw the behind the scenes of that right around the time it had just um, got to HBO when it got on when it finally went to television. And I remember they were showing like the the makings of and stuff like that and just watching him work with these actors and how it was done. And 
it that I think that was probably the first time I said, you know what, maybe I should be a filmmaker or maybe I can write, you know, these great scripts. And it, the, the thing about the movie, it's just so sumptuous. I've never seen anything like it before. This was not a regular horror film. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that you, already when you have someone, you have that name, you're going to go, oh, shit, what is he going to do to this thing? But the fact that they, you know, they. You know, a lot of people said, oh, they did it. They turned it into a romance and all that. I said, yeah, but not to but to benefit it to mm-hmm. me, it, it enriched it, you know, and I think and that was bold It was a very bold move that could have crashed that and said, oh, this is just stupid. It's schlocked. It's stupid. And it, it, it's I love the gothic sensibility. I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of people like Poe, you know, and um, mm. I yeah, I love Nathaniel Hawthorne and, and you know, all these great uh, classic people in it and being in the South. There's a subgenre that we call Southern Gothic, and yep. um, that's kind of what what I, I I'm always into. And of course, um, I I grew up reading Anne Rice, who uh, is very different from Stephen King. You know, Stephen King is almost like a um, kind of like, I call him the working class writer. You know, and he'll he'll tell you that. You know, he's a a cool equivalent of a, a Big Mac and fries, and I love that. You know, he's <laughs> great at right there. You know, it's, it's made for the guy you know who gets home from work and just wants to read a treat cheap thrill you know and that, that's great that's great but you know Anne rice is a little bit different you know she's very philosophical she's um you know her descriptions are a lot more plush i guess would be the word i, I would say and um a lot of her fi- books i find are anticlimactic but then again they always she always has them in series so they're always continuing and being in that time reading her and then watching this it was like oh bam you know it's being a fan of edgar Allan poe and being part of the goth crowd at that time it was just right up my alley and i guess there's just some sort of um i don't know i guess the romance a, 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 a you know against this backdrop of all these horror because me too i'm not really uh not that i'm not a fan i don't want to use that word but I, i'm not a dracula person you know it's never mm. was my favorite so the fact that it's my favorite movie pe- that automatically people say oh well what about this dracula movie blah, blah. i say well i don't i'm not really a dracula person yeah. and i'm not really a vampire person which again stupid because i love and again interview the vampire is one of my favorite movies but i think it's just the care they they do in and taking you know um the adaptation and uh, these directors and writers man and they really embrace it and when it's done right this is the result you get you know, and you could see the difference between, you know, the first interview of the vampire and what they did with Queen of the Dam. You can see when it's t- been done right. And then when it just crashes and burn, when you just fucking it up, yeah. you know, but you could see the cheap, you know, the cheapness of like, let's just make a quick buck off this. You know, yep. mm-hmm. when they could have adapted the damn second one, which would have been balls. And if you had a crew like Neil Jordan and, you know, all these and, you know, and his crew. And I love Neil Jordan. I've always did. Um I love his. I don't know if you know. Uh, you probably do. You know, High Spirits with oh, Derek. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Come on now. Yes. <laughs> that's a yes. What? man. That's a, if y'all haven't seen that, you got to go check that out, man. It's half uh, Irish cast, half uh, American cast. You have Steve Gutenberg. Come on. Dude, any film. I mean, you literally have Steve Gutenberg <laughs> acting opposite Peter O'Toole. Like, if, yeah, in exactly. first, would you ever think you would have those two actors together? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you got Beverly D'Angelo. You have Liam Neeson, you know, uh, from across Be- America. Beverly D'Angelo, Daryl Hannah. Daryl Hannah. And you have Liz Smith, this great, you know, Irish actress. Um, all these great people that win this movie and Jennifer it's the Tilly, weirdest mashup <laughs> peter gallagher right. like it's just that's it's, right Meg T- that's right oh my god jennifer uh, jennifer tilly um 
Yeah, and uh, it's there's a uh, Martin Ferrero was uh he was the parapsychologist. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. He's the one that got eaten in Jurassic Park. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and so yeah, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. man, it's it's fantastic. It's fantastic. And uh, but you know, I I love his sensibility, and I can't even imagine what it was like working with him because I you know I. I just couldn't. Now, I remember I had been on the set one day uh, and there's a scene in Interview the Vampire when they're coming out of this house and there's all these coffins because Claudia, you know, Lestat and Claudia went to this family to, you know, play the piano and entertain them. Mm-hmm. They basically ate them all yep. and all these new bodies are coming out. And I was actually on set that day and it was really cool to see. Um, a friend of mine was a PA there. He said, dude, you got to come check this shit out. And I'm like, really? I said, is Ann Rice there? He's like, no, idiot, come to the... You know, I was like, I want to, I want to meet Ann Rice. I don't want to see Tom Cruise. I want to meet Ann Rice. And uh, it, it was phenomenal to watch that just come out. And because they laid, you know, dirt in the street. And and the building um, that they used is um, Madame John's Legacy, which is one of the oldest. I mean, it's, it's kind of com- competes with the Ursuline Convent there in the French Quarter as the oldest building. Um, it's certainly one of the original ones from the French Quarter. Um, Because the French Quarter also burned down twice in its history, and um, that building is is one of the oldest, and it it looks exactly how it did. So I doubt they did much to you know they didn't really have to do anything to it. And it's a museum, so you can go there. There, it's called Madame John's Legacy. It's on uh, Dumain Street, right right Mm -hmm. in the middle of the French Quarter. I passed it all the time. Um, But yeah, that was that was really cool to see. And um, I at that time I didn't know Neil Jordan was directing it, so that would have been awesome. You know, had I been aware of that, you know, we couldn't Google shit back then, you right. know, so somebody just had to tell you, you know, but uh, needless to say, I didn't get to meet Anne Rice, but it was really cool to see. And I, I saw a couple other pieces that they did on, on um, at the riverfront. And um, so that it was it was really neat. It was really neat. But both of those movies are are, are um, they're so mythic and they're so gothic and it's, it's so beautiful looking. Even uh, interview the vampire. I bought the soundtrack, the score. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful score by Elliot Goldenthal, who also did Pet Cemetery's score as well, the original. Um, and I, I had that, and I would write short stories to that um, that uh, soundtrack. And I, I tend to do that too. In fact, when I wrote uh, the book, my my book, Ravish, I would listen to Great Expectations. Um, by Patrick Doyle, the 1997 one with Gwyneth Paltrow and Ethan. Oh man, I love that movie Dude, too. I tore that soundtrack apart. Like <laughs> the 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 song and the score, man. They're mm-hmm. both yeah, they both man, they both great soundtracks. Um, I mean, you had some great artists on that one, but I I would listen to that one to kind of get in the mood. And then Wake the Devil, I would listen to one of my all time. Now this would probably be my second favorite movie, and I'm gonna uh, it's from Hell. With Johnny Depp, yeah, and Heather Graham. Oh, it's it's. I went to the movies and Jack saw the that. Ripper story. Oh, it was another one that was done right. I, the Hughes brothers, man. I'm telling you, that was artistry. That was amazing artistry. And you know, when that came out, I had saw it, um, and it it blew me away. I couldn't believe how gra- how heavy graphic it was. Of course, it's it's good though. I mean, you didn't shy away from the shit. You know, you mm-hmm. actually got to see what you know what happened and what these poor ladies looked like after, and they did really great. You know, everything looked so authentic and just like like they were filming it there. You know, in eighteen eighty eight. You know, and that was done in Prague, and so I, I you know that kind of thing. I I, I love that score um, from Hell. Uh, I listened to it almost on repeat. <laughs> I would rake the devil. It's got the same kind of sensibility. From I saw that in the movie theater, but the reason why I went to go see that in the movie theater 
was that it was going to be teased that they're going to have a preview for like one of the Star Wars films. Uh, <laughs> so that, that was the reason why I went to go see Bye-bye. it. And I'm like, well, it has Johnny Depp and Heather Graham. You know, I'm, I'm, I like them both. And then I saw, I'm like, oh, this movie's pretty fucking badass. And it was a movie like in the kind of, you know, a, you know, dark kind of like gothic feel, which is, you know, stuff that I'm really into. But the mm-hmm. whole reason why that movie got my 10, 15 bucks, whatever, you know, the ticket cost at the time was because there was going to be a Star Wars trailer. Uh, naturally, 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 <laughs> naturally. I think that I also saw Meet Joe Black in the movie theater because there was going to be, I think it was like the Phantom Menace, like trailer was going to be shown in that. Just, just uh, smart marketing guys, man, them smart marketing guys. I love it. (laughs) They knew what they were doing. Now, just because you had mentioned like Neil Jordan and we obviously were talking about Francis Ford Coppola (laughs) and we talk, obviously, you know, interview the vampire. Um, Yes, we are talking about, um, Bram Stoker's Dracula, but when you mention, for example, like Queen of the Damned, um, in kind of like good versus that doesn't really work. There's also an element between a filmmaker's movie versus a studio studio movie, right? Absolutely, like, absolutely. That's, that's one of the that's a good example. That, mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I think looks about this movie because even in production, from what I'm understanding, a lot of people behind. I mean, like he fired a bunch of people. There are a lot of people on the scene, like behind the scenes, like I don't know, this movie just when, ain't gonna work. Too many, you got too many hands in the pot, man. It it, it destroys a movie. Mm-hmm. And and you know, you have Queen of the Damn, first of all, is the third book in the series. So that was odd already. Um you have this very great epic story, The Vampire Lestat, which is book two. And they basically took elements from both these books and just mm-hmm. jam them together and uh, you know i don't like the i didn't you know for that kind of material i don't like the mtv style of right. camera zips and all that and it, it just it didn't work Sound, soundtrack was great and, uh, and Aaliyah was damn good mm-hmm. um but that's the only reason to go see it, it it's yeah. it's not the books and if you're certainly a fan of hers i'm you know, just like me i was pissed off like, why would y'all do this? And, you know, once she sells over rights and stuff like that, you know, it's out of her hands sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, that's how it is. Um, but again, it, it shows, you know, what, what when care is taken and, you know, uh, like you said, it's studio interference almost always screws up. I was trying to think of a movie. It came to my head and I'd already forgot it. And I want, kept wanting to say it was Amityville 2 or something. I can't remember something odd. And there was so much studio interference. Oh, um. Hellraiser, Bloodline, the fourth one. I um um Kevin Yeager, the the you know special effects master, he had done that, he had directed it, but they had tore it up so much mm-hmm. that he just took his name off of it. So now he's got, you know, that that um pseudonym. Alan Smithy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh when people hate their work, that's what they they put their name the, the name of. And I love that. It's hilarious. And uh, and it sucks because when he talks about it, he said, man, I had this, this and it. He said it made sense. It made sense when I wrote it, you know, when we did it. Mm-hmm. And then they want, no, we want it to be bloody or we want it to do this. And then, you know, it's it screws it all up. And it, that that really sucks because I'm sure that could have I would have loved to have seen that cut, you know. Yeah. Yeah. When you look at <laughs> and, you know, sometimes it can go the other direction. Sometimes the studio involvement uh, can be a good thing. Sometimes the studio mm-hmm. is saying, no, you shouldn't do this is sometimes a, a good thing because you take a look at the fact because we, you, when you have like film auteurs, right, you mentioned like Neil Jordan, even though you would never think that like the guy that did High Spirits would be this uh, this very artistic filmmaker, really, when you like analyze. But if you look at his catalog, he's done a lot of great things. Obviously, then, you know, we're, we're talking about Francis Ford Coppola. Um, 
But, you know, a lot of your filmmakers, for example, from like the 70s, so your Brian De Palma's, your uh, Francis Ford oh, Coppola's, yeah. your Scorsese's, right? Your your true classic, like, film yeah. course, they had, like, the authority to do whatever they wanted. And then the 1980s came around, and then John Landis fucked it up all for everybody. And if you, if, uh, for the listeners that don't know about this, there was a movie called Twilight Zone, the movie, and in which John Landis basically still coming from that school of thought like no i can do things i want and when they're like you can't have kids work late hours and you certainly can't have kids work after basically hours. ignored all the rules that they put down for uh, for reasons um obviously that they need you know safety and things like that yeah yeah and unfortunately you know john landis as a result of it you know uh <laughs> two kids were killed on set as well as was his leading actor yeah and uh, yeah, Vic Morrow. And that, you know, was kind of um, wasn't the death of like the film auteur, because obviously, you know, Scorsese is still around, Francis Ford Coppola. Is, yeah. But the studio then subsequently had a lot more autonomy, like, no, yeah. not yeah. Gonna be able to allow you to make your movie. You can it make definitely was a turning movie, point. Yeah, but we're going to have some serious <laughs> guidelines in effect. Uh, yeah. And it, it, yeah. And you're right. A lot of uh, a lot of that happened. I I. I love, I'm, of course, I'm a huge fan of Tim Burton. Um, and he talks about that with Batman. You know, he said, mm -hmm. um, I, I I had it. And he said, but boy, the studio had the final say. This was what, what was going to go on. And people criticize the ending and the slow ending. And the producers take credit for it. They, well, we did it. We fucked it up. You know, Tim wanted to do something there. We, we came in and told him no. And we made it slow and fucked up. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's cool because in Batman Returns, they let him go. They said, okay, go ahead. Do it how you wanted to do it. Yeah. Which was interesting, and it caused more controversy. How you like that? But I think Batman Returns is a. Now I'm not a comic book fan. Don't punch me in the face. But <laughs> I never grew up with comics. Um, but I love Batman Returns as a movie itself, not really as a Batman story. Mm -hmm. um, again, artistry. It's it's this great gothic feel to it, you know, and it's it's beautiful. All it's these great beautiful. lines and you know, and Michelle Pfeiffer, and yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I mean yeah. look at look at the cast for God's sake. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of cast, just to get us kind of like kind of back on topic a little bit, um, because you've got, you know, you you, you referenced Keanu Reeves, uh, you know, uh, his performance. And quite frankly, I thought he was fine. Um, Me too. Me too. And I, I didn't realize back then that that was an issue until later. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> Francis Ford Coppola, from from everything I've read, he's really defended him. Uh, and said, yeah, you know, he, he busted his ass. In fact, uh, I argue that he he worked too hard uh, to to make everything work. And I can see just, that. And I can see that. It, it's funny because, you know, we we have this perception or there was this perception of like Keanu is just a, like this Hawaiian surfer kind of guy. And, yeah, and really yeah. trying to be an actor is just kind of kind of strange because this is this is Ted from Bill and Ted. And <laughs> yeah. A lot of people think like he was Bill from Bill and Ted, but he was actually Ted from Bill and Ted. Uh, he wasn't even like the top build. It was Alex Winter. But uh, no, anyway, I don't want to go on a, another side tangent. But <laughs> the question I have, when you look at this movie and, and the incredible cast, because obviously you referenced Gary Oldman, and I think he, his performance is probably a notch above everybody, at least in my own head. So I'm going to take him out of this question. But the question I have is, when you look at... <clears throat> Uh, Keanu Reeves in this movie or Anthony Hopkins or Winona Ryder or shit, even like Richard E. Grant or Carrie Elways. Yes, uh, Carrie Elways, that's right. That's right. Um, Tom Waits, even, uh, yeah, which is insane right. yeah. that he's in this. Um, was there like any performance 
uh, that you were you find yourself especially drawn to in this movie? And if, mm. if it is, if it is like, listen, if it is Gary Oldman, that's fine. I just felt that would, maybe it was too easy, but I'm totally okay with making this a Gary Oldman conversation. No, it, you know, I know when I'm really enthralled with a movie because I'm also one of those nerds that stays through the credits and reads all that shit and, and knows who the cinematography and all. This was probably the first movie I never really knew for years. I'm like, oh yeah, this person did the music. Oh yeah, this person. I was so enthralled with this movie. It kept me so much because, you know, I, I went in there going like, oh shit, this is going to be Winona Ryder. But then as it goes, you go on, oh, shit, this is Mina, you know, Wilhelmina Murray. Like, this isn't Winona Ryder. And to me, I didn't make that distinction with Keanu Reeves either. I thought he was fantastic. You know, he he looked dashing. You know, he, he did great. I thought so. And it wasn't until, you know, the Internet before <laughs> I realized that he was criticized for it. But no, I don't think so. But, you know, I like I had read that he took all these people and put them like in a camp, you know, and let mm-hmm. them hang out. And be buds and stuff like that. That's brilliant. That's a smart thing to do. You know, especially the guys, you know, the vampire hunters at the end when you had Richard E. Grant and yeah. Gary Always and Kennedy and had them all in there. But you he know, ca- I, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but he, no, also, kind ahead, of, he also did that with the outsiders too. When because Coppola did oh. the outsiders and he had, uh, he had, uh, like the Sochas, uh, they stay together and then he had the Greasers, they all stay together awesome. uh, and they kind of built that relationship. So that's something he's very much always been a big believer in. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I oh, just no, to... not at all. No, you're right. You're very right. Um, I, I love that, that he does that kind of directing. You know, it, it's you can see how much he loves films and he loves actors and things like that. And bam, there it is. But, you know, again, this thing about this movie, there's always these performances and you go, oh, shit, that was Carrie Elway's. But he's mm-hmm. so in it. Or you go. Oh shit, that was Sadie Frost. I forgot Lucy is Sadie Frost. Mm-hmm. And then you, you know, thinking like, oh my God, that's right. Anthony Hopkins is in this. You know, <laughs> they're so immersed in their performances. You never really, it never clicks to decipher the two. You know, so I think it's it's almost like um one of the few movies I find is just like a group effort. You know, all these perform all these little sneak performances that you catch. Like I said, Tom Waits, it's like, oh yeah. Holy shit, he plays Renfield and he does it damn good, you know? Yeah. And it's it's little things like that, I, I think. So, but I, I mean, honestly, I remember the first time I saw it, I just couldn't take my eyes off Gary Oldman because, you know, it, we never saw Dracula look like that. He looked mm-hmm. like Bella Lugosi. We all know Christopher Lee. We all yep. knew this was this is what we were expecting. And then, holy shit, he comes out in that red robe and yeah. you're just stunned. I remember just going, what the fuck? Is that really him? Like, and it was just the way he delivered everything. And I'm like, good God. And then they would change him, you know, and then he was underneath all that bat makeup. I'm like, (laughs) you know, so that's some serious dedication. And I I remember watching the behind the scenes, how him and and Coppola would argue back and forth, you know, these two kind of egomaniacs, you know, and um, but I loved it because they're kind of just feeding off of each other and complimenting each other. And of course, you know, making movies, you know, it's a bitch. It's not easy. Um, but yeah, I honestly, I can't really pinpoint really anyone because like I said, it, they were so immersed in it. It was hard to, you know, you had to pull yourself and I still go, oh yeah, Anthony Hopkins was in that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He was fantastic, you know? So yeah, no, it's that, I think that's why it's still my favorite movie of all time. Cause it's just one of those movies that's just the whole package. You know, there's, I I don't find there's a missed note in it. Yeah, true. They like little story things here and there, but there's not a missed note in its production, you know, and everything, everything is to the T. I, I love it. You know? Yeah. yeah. I, I can keep, I've watched that damn thing so many times. I can't tell you. And 
I'm oh, I always still get the little warm feeling, you know, it's like, oh, you know, just at the moment when that train goes right through that tunnel and it's crossing over that journal page. And I'm like, son, bitch. Yeah, no, <laughs> absolutely. Just the just it's so stylized and just because we're all, you know, we're talking about Gary Oldman. I'm I'm fascinated and I love the idea that, you know, he he just really got into this project and basically some of the notes they had is he's just at different stages of his life. You know, you see him older, you see him younger, but yeah. he's like more, I want more. So the, yeah. you know, like he and like the makeup, like artists are like, well, let's, let's see him as a bat. Let's see him as <laughs> right. a wolf. And just kept on like doing other things. Like what else can we make? Of? Let's put these crazy wigs and see. And you know, it's funny. I didn't know. I honestly, um, of course I, again, I was, Ooh, eighth grade. I honestly didn't know who he was. That was the first person I ever, that's the first time I've ever heard Gary Oldman. I'm like, oh, okay. And I think when I saw him um, on an interview, I'm like, oh shit, he's English. Like, mm -hmm. I didn't know that either. Like, I couldn't tell, you know, of course he's so damn good. He's practicing, he's got a Romanian accent and all that. But um, yeah, I, I didn't really know who he was, honestly. And um, so I was really intrigued. I'm like, who did he pick? And I remember my friend saying that Gary Oldman, I said, who? I don't know who that is, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm sure he was already established, but uh, yeah, I didn't, of course, you know, you couldn't Google that shit either. No, you couldn't. No, like you remember encyclopedias? I mean, uh, <laughs> oh my God, yeah. What are those? Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny you bring that up, but I hadn't even thought about this in years and I don't know which movie came out first, but it was either this one or JFK and that was you know, Oliver Stone film, but he, Gary Oldman plays uh, Lee Harvey Oswald in that. And I can't remember if it was this movie or that movie that came first, but mm. I saw the movie, one of these movies after the other. I'm like, oh, that's Dracula or, oh, that's uh, Harvey Oswald. Uh, but I can't remember which one. I just I, I didn't fact right. check uh, myself uh, before bringing that up. But apart from that, but shit, I had no idea it was English. I had no idea. Yeah, um, I, didn't, yeah, I didn't really know anything about him. Yeah. And then, you know, a couple uh, what I think a year or two later. I saw True Romance, and I'm like, "What the fuck? Like that's Dracula!" And uh, and then yeah, I'm like, "Oh my yeah. god, this guy is insane! This is insane!" And and, and he then, did you know, Beethoven, I, you know, in yeah, Bernard Immortal Beloved. Yeah. Love it. I'm like, yeah. "Holy shit, that's the guy!" You know, yeah. and he, that too. It's like again, like who is this guy? You know, he's playing this character, and he is in there, man. He is. Yeah. He yeah. is Beethoven. He you know? 100% just completely immerses everything, you know, like, yeah. and so you can see something very artistic, uh, you know, and what in or I'm going to take this monster and, you know, make him very, very sympathetic. And you're going to when you can even empathize in a uh, form with uh, with Dracula, which is weird. But uh, <laughs> he just really he really does get in there. And whether he's playing a. Uh, I, I say Chicago cop because I mean they film the movie in, uh, in Chicago, but like you know, like uh, where he's playing Commissioner Gordon. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, Batman. yeah. Like Man, he's, yeah. he's a Chicago, he's a Chicago cop. He just also happens to be Gary Oldman. Um, <laughs> but like he is who he's playing, and he, he's he's a joy to watch. And um, like I said, I didn't want to necessarily turn it into the Gary Oldman hour, although I'm perfectly happy to do that. But <laughs> Uh, just when I when I think of like these roles, like I'm, I, I try to figure out like, well, who's my favorite? And sometimes I'm like, well, it's Winona Ryder because I mm -hmm. because I I love Winona Ryder. Uh, but then I'm like, well, you know, I really do kind of like the the take that um, Keanu Reeves had as as Harker. Although I would be interested to see what that Christian Slater version would have been. 
because uh, he was one of the other actors that was that's uh, right. seriously <clears throat> in consideration for. And I think that's right. I think, I think Christian Slater turned it down, I believe. A couple of people and, did, strangely enough. And the whole reason why Winona Ryder did this film was I think she got, I can't recall, but I think she got sick um, when Godfather 3 was coming out because she was the original. That's uh, right. She was originally cast for that film, but she had That's to drop right. out. And then she famously, wanted to work with Coppola. She said, look, I'm going to bring you something. And she brought mm-hmm. it. She, she's she, the one yeah, who did right. this. She brought yeah. this movie to Francis Ford Coppola. She initiated this whole thing. Yeah. She yeah, said, we're going to do, we're going to do Dracula. And he's like, what? She's like, yep, yeah, we're going to do Dracula. And he's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah, it was all, yeah, it was exactly. all her doing. So, uh, I'm glad that we, we, we finally got around to that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, oh man, Ryan, I, I could go on and on and on. You know, we've been chatting <laughs> for an hour or so. Um, but, and this has gone by really quickly. I'm trying to think if there's any, because I had, I had 10 specific questions I wanted to ask, but you've already addressed the fact like, well, who's your favorite Dracula? And you're like, well, I don't really give a shit about Dracula. Um, like, all right, <laughs> well, what about other vampire films? You know, are, are there other vampire? You're like, well, I don't fucking care about vampire films. Um, <laughs> but, but let's see here. Okay. From a technical aspect of this film, because I mean, you, you've cited the, the soundtrack, you've cited, you know, the, the special effects and the makeup and the costumes, um, you know, even like the, like the, the, the natural effects of, you know, shooting some scenes in reverse, uh, miniatures, et cetera, et cetera. When you look at some of the technical aspects, is there something how about this? I'm not going to say, is there something you have to draw a line in the sand and say, this is brilliant. This is my favorite thing about this movie. You have to, you have to, you have to draw a line in the sand and say, this is my favorite thing about this film from a technical aspect. Make a gosh. Um, you know, the sound, the sound is very great. I think if the, there was no music, that sound is so sharp. Um, it, it's and going into that as well, you know, the whisperings that drops the drip drops mm. and the of water and or, you know, the growling of, you know, of Dracula's coming down off this building and all that. But. Oh, I, I remember reading about the um, the 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 big chase at the end, the big climax when they're yeah. trying to wait and found out that was indoors. That is cr- I would have never guessed that in a million yeah. years that that was filmed indoors. And, you know, he Coppola talks about how they changed it up a little every time they went around a bin and they would have to change it up for the shot and all that. It's that kind of thing. And, you know, the first time I watched this and I thought, good God, what is it? The, the artistic mentioning the train going over that. But when, you know, Jonathan's going into Transylvania for the first time, there's all these weird little little, little things like you can hear the wolves and. You know, and then you can see their eyes and there's, again, the blue flames come up. All these little things, you know, the shadows moving, which we all knew, like, Dracula's shadow doesn't follow. But still, it all looks so great. And it's not computer. You know, it's all right there. And mm-hmm. that's fantastic. It's it's little things like that, that when why I continue to watch it over and over. And when I say that I find something new, like, oh, yeah, look at that. You know, I look in the background because... You know, the sets are are so filled with so much imagery and, you know, and he uses this to his advantage, you know, to, to full force. But it's little things like that. It's just in the first uh, 10 minutes of the film. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's incredible. I mean, the, the first, op- you know, the opening of it, you know, the credits roll and then you have this cross and you see the smoke coming over, you know, the top of that that church and all the little fade ins and fade outs, you know, the the super uh, impos- uh, superimposing over all this stuff. 
it's incredible. And, you know, there's, there's, you know, these, um, there's a scene where, uh, Mina and Dracula are in the city and they're watching a movie and she's sort of kind of, you know, thinking what he's thinking. And they show clips of the, the old battle that he was in. And all of a sudden it's cut to like the little paper puppets yeah. that are in, in the, in that room. And I'm like, good God, that's amazing. Little things like that. And again, right there in camera. Yeah. I mean, come on. I, <laughs> I uh, I love that you also referenced the shadow because I I intentionally didn't reference it because I wanted to have something as like things that I love. And uh, <laughs> what I reference is the shadows of Dracula just in the the exchanges with uh, John Harker and, oh, yeah. and and where, you know, they're in the room and you just see Dracula's like shadow and he's doing something. And then, uh, you know, Keanu Reeves looks at the wall and the shadow, but then he's like, wait, where'd he go? He's and like, it turns, here, here, he's yeah. on the other side. Uh, it, it just, never stops moving. You know, and it's always yeah, like, it, it's, it, it's ever present all throughout that scene. And it, it just, I, <laughs> I love it. I eat that shit up and I'm like, oh, this is, this is just good. This is a filmmaker really enjoying what he's doing because I mean, that oh, there, yeah. there's just, because it wasn't. Uh, kind of like, hey, look at this. Look, I'm I'm trying to impress you. There, there was kind of there was it's like an artistic into the the scene. It's molded mm-hmm. into the story, and you know? it it was it, it was beautiful. And you also referenced mm-hmm. just because you had mentioned the you know the cross. Obviously, this movie, you know, the, there there are a lot of themes at play that they're you know that they're exploring, oh, yeah. and obviously, you know, uh, religion is something that they're that they're looking at. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I mean, shoot, you know, the the idea of blood. Um, it, it's not just something that he he feeds on, you know, it's just as as a means. I mean, you look at this movie, this movie came out 91, 92. Mm-hmm. We're talking mm-hmm. like uh just kind of like the the dangers of what blood is. And when you look at That's like right. this is also a period of like a specific kind of like a nod to like HIV <clears throat> and AIDS of what's going yeah. on and because at the, that time, what was it? Syphilis was the big um blood transmitted uh thing, and then they they couldn't get a hold of that and and tb tuberculosis Mm -hmm. was a big thing at that time as well and there's this really neat thing where they show where they're dining and there's um a superposed image of the the blood cells circulating you know and then he he like puts it over the absinthe bubbles i'm like look i get goosebumps now i'm like god God, man how smart are you like Mm -hmm. and it's just it, it cuts from that and then it shows her and she's sucking on this you know, sugar cube, and it's yep. yeah, it's like all oh, all this crazy symbolism in this one shot. You know, and she, they don't have to say a word. You yeah. already know what's going on. You know, he's gonna have her. You know, and she's going for it. You know, mm-hmm. and she's being seduced, and it's little things like that. You know, and and the religion aspect is definitely something that's that's always overlooked, and it's a huge part of it because I love how he says, "Why would God do this to me? I fought on His side, and He turns me into this." and those things are really, really provocative, you know, mm-hmm. and the fact that, you know, love would set them free. And, you know, at the end, when the cross mends once, you know, she's truly madly in love with him. She's, you know, she kisses him and that that stab wound in the cross all of a sudden just, you know, just little things like that. That's crazy. And on top of all that, you have this love story of this man who just really lo- they were, you know, he really adored this woman. And knowing that she killed herself and, you know, being in, in the Christian faith, that's, you know, big sin. And, of course, he turns and all that stuff. And, again, that's all just in the first 10 minutes. That's all. That's in the first three minutes, you know. And it's the most intense opening, man, when he yells that that huge scream and the credits go up. And every time I do, oh, man, I turn that up real loud, man. My neighbors must shit on themselves, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> when they hear that. 
if I, you know, some in some episodes, I like to discuss dialogue and and this movie, there, there's a lot of really great, you know, dialogue. Obviously, you know, she's like, take me away from, you know, all this death, which is mm-hmm. kind of like, it was kind of like a trailer yeah. line, um, yeah. you know, it was using all the previews. But I think like when I think of uh, my favorite line in the film, like, what is it? Like, I have crossed oceans of time to find you, oh, which yeah. I just think is just such yeah. a great, just a great line. Yeah, all these beautiful poetic, you know, exchanges between them. Like, oh man, that's like deep love, man. That's you know the fact that she's meant to be sort of the reincarnation mm-hmm. of um, Elizabeth. Elizabeth, yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, love that. Um, I love that. Is there any any closing thoughts or anything that you want to discuss before we you know we wrap up and we you know let our listeners how they can you know they can find your work and is is there anything else that that we maybe didn't cover that you'd like to discuss? Probably so much more, Andrew. Probably so much more. We're going to have to make this a sequel. Well, I'm okay with that. You, at this point, have an open invitation anytime you want to come back and talk about any other film. Or if you just want to, you know, do Dracula Part 2, we can cover some more. But I know I appreciate it. Thank you. I'm so glad. I'm so glad to be on it. Like I said, to be discussing my favorite movie, I'm I'm content. (laughs) I hope anybody out there who hasn't seen it, go see it. It's just man it's an amazing film it'll blow your socks off even today awesome all right so uh tell the listeners how they can they can know more about you where they can they can find uh find your work yeah absolutely um right now i'm working on my website it's it's <laughs> busy working on four different books at one time and and <laughs> doing a lot of marketing um but right now the best way would be my uh would be ryan winter fan page on facebook um i love going there because i can interact with people a lot easier um, there's no email list and all this other BS. Mm-hmm. I, that drives me nuts because, I mean, that's just like cold calling, you know. <laughs> and I posted a lot of stuff about the books, you know, the real story of uh, Wake the Devil, which um, which is the one that just came out. Um, I'm definitely there. Um, Instagram, Ryan Winter author. I post a lot of my stuff there, a lot of um, podcasts and all that and everything. So anything that's like new or coming up, I definitely I definitely put it on my uh, my Facebook fan page. That's probably the best way to go. And of course, there's um, there's an author page on Amazon as well. You just type in my name. Well, awesome. Ryan Winter, thank you. This has been an absolute delight. I've really enjoyed talking about this movie. And uh, I think this has been a nonstop, uh, exciting conversation. <laughs> oh, so I appreciate you, uh, you hanging out with me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for hanging out with me. <laughs> All right. Ladies and gentlemen, Ryan Winter. Again, thank you so much to Ryan for hopping on the show. Holy cow. Um, yeah, that's got to be one of my favorite conversations I've ever had with somebody. And... You know what, people? I think we've got a new best friend for your uh, your dear host right here. Um, just certainly an absolute delight. And listener, if you're still with us, I'd love to have a conversation with you. So please uh, visit my website, stanfordcinema.com. Uh, on the website, you can listen to these podcasts. So you can leave reviews. You can leave a voicemail. So if you heard something on this, co- on this podcast that you would like uh, to discuss, leave a voicemail. But also, you have the ability to... Uh, apply to be a guest on Stamper Cinema. So definitely check it out, stampercinema.com. And for all my friends, new and old, thank you very much for for being a part of today's broadcast. Again, happy Halloween to everybody or happy whatever day it is that you are listening to this. But I'm going to sign off for now. And yeah, that's all I've got. We'll see you next time on another episode of Stamper Cinema. (laughs) 